will get your attention, that, that, that God will have something for each one of us individually. That even though we are at different places in our lives, that God will speak to us individually. That we all may receive something from the Lord. Amen? Amen. So if you have your Bibles with you, turn with me to the book of Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5, and I'll be reading verse 18. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 18. And it reads thus in our hearing. And be not drunk with wine, wherein is excess, but be filled with the Spirit. It says, and be not drunk with wine, wherein is excess, but be filled with the Spirit. Heavenly Father, I thank you for this hour of praise, of worship. Father, I pray that you will speak because I'm empty, Lord, but I believe that you're able to fill me up and pour me out. So, Father, I pray that our hearts or our mind will be in the right place, that it will be a, praise, a place of praise and worship, that we'll be open to your word, Father. And as we hear your word, that something will be said that we will take heed to your word, that our lives may be transformed, that we may be all that you have called us to be. So, Father, just have your way this morning. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. 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 So the, the, the scripture said, be not drunk with wine wherein is excess, but be filled with the Spirit. So from this passage of scripture, I want to talk to you this morning on the subject that we need a drunk church. We need a drunk church church. I believe that the title alone is a sermon within itself. But, 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 I, but I understand that as a preacher, we don't have the privilege of assuming that everybody will get it. So, so if, you, if, if, if you don't mind, just, just, just stay with me for a few minutes as I try to explain what, I, what I'm saying by we need a drunk church. Because I really don't want no, anybody to walk away and go get, go buy a bottle and saying that, that, that the preacher is saying that we ought to be drinking and getting drunk. But, but, but indeed, we do need a drunk church. Have you ever been drunk? Have, have you ever been intoxicated? What, why was the, what, what was the reason for you getting drunk? You see, people get drunk for different reasons. It might be a way that they're trying to cope with issues that they are going through. 
it, it might be just something that you do. You might just decide that I don't even have a reason why. I don't even know why, but all I know is I just get drunk. So, so people get drunk for different reasons, but in this text, drunkenness was a danger to which the church was exposed. It was an immoral, wicked behavior to which those around them were much addicted. Do we, do we know anybody that is addicted to drunkenness? So it, it, it was not unlikely that this passage, this verse, was making an allusion to the orgies of Bacchus. What is Bacchus, you may ask? You see, Bacchus was the god of wine. Bacchus was the god of, of wine. So, so, so in this verse, it draws an allusion to Bacchus or to the festival celebrating in honor of that pagan god. You see, during this festival, men and women regard it as an acceptable act of worship to become intoxicated. They regard it as an acceptable act of worship to become drunk. And with wild songs and cries, they would run through the streets and fields and vineyard. But, but to these things, I see the Apostle Paul opposes with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs as a much more appropriate modes of, of devotion. You see, this devotion would have the Christian worship stands out in strong contrast with the wild and desolate habits of the pagan. It is said that while these abominable ceremonies in worship to Bacchus continued, you would hard, it was hard to find a sober man or a sober woman anywhere. So when we consider the environment, when we consider the atmosphere, we can now begin to see why Paul writes this verse. Do not be drunk with wine wherein there is excess, but be filled with the Spirit. The first thing we can draw from this is that, that Paul recognized a problem. You see, and when Paul recognized the problem, Paul addressed the problem, and, but, he, but not only did he address it, he used the problem as a teaching tool. You see, he used it as an analogy. He said, since you are already experienced in this area, since you already understand the behavior or the state that is associated with drunkenness, he used it, uses it as an example. It is in that same manner in which Jesus uses parables. It was already something that the, who he was addressing was familiar with. So he used it as a teaching tool to explain to them kingdom things. We, we often hear Jesus say, the kingdom of heaven is like unto. It's like unto this and it's like unto that. What he's doing, he's using something that they are familiar with. 
to, to, to make known the principles of the kingdom. So Paul in this passage of scripture is, he, he, he using the same technique to bring his point across. But I see Paul brand drunkenness as excess. And what he is doing here is signifying recklessness. The one who is incapable of saving or denying oneself anything. It's naturally passing through the wants of self-restraint to a state of riot. Naturally, you're passing through a state of self-restraint to a state of, of, of riot. One was, and sometimes we see people in the stage, we often say they're acting the fool. What, what, what happened? They have passed through the state of self-restraint to a place of riot. And notice sometimes when we, they're at the stage, we try to get them to stop. But they are already at this state. There's nothing that we can do. And, and this is what drunkenness does. So drunkenness is a state that causes recklessness. It is a, the effect of self-abandonment by which the sensual or passionate elements of the nature are stimulated to a frenzy while the self-controlling judgment is dragged to sleep. I, I was like, wow. Your self-controlling judgment is dragged to sleep. And it helped me thinking, I wonder how many people in the church have been dragged to sleep. How many people, how many of us come to church every Sunday, but at the same time we are asleep? I mean, how many of us say that we are born again, we have been baptized, we are filled with the Holy Spirit, but we are asleep? We're not just asleep, we have been dragged to sleep. So, so, so you say, if the passion and appetites become jaded, they need a stronger and stronger stimulant until the whole nature, the whole body and mentality is lost in stupidity. And I'm talking about being, being drunk. So that's why you don't argue with a drunk person. They have already been at a place of stupidity. There is nothing rational that you can say to them that makes sense. They, were, they are already at a place of stupidity. But when I look at this, this passage, it sheds light on the confusion of the crowd in, at, at, on the day of Pentecost. In Acts chapter 2, verse 15, that caused Peter to stand up and say, these men are not drunk as you suppose. 
You see, these men are drunk, but it's not a drunkenness of the common kind. You see, these men are Holy Ghost-filled men. These men are drunk with the Holy Ghost. So it begins to shed light on that scripture of why they would have thought that it, it falls in line with something that they were so much already familiar with. So these men are not drunk as you suppose. He said, this is which was spoken by the prophet Joel. But why is Paul making a contrast between being drunk and being filled with the Holy Spirit? The contrast between the two is making emphasis on the control. And see, we can't, we can't afford to, 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 to miss this. Paul is not giving okay for somebody to drink and get drunk. But he making, he make a comparison so we can understand that when a person is drunk, he is under the control of the alcohol. He's under the control of the spirit of alcohol. And when somebody is filled with the spirit, He's under the control of the Holy Ghost. So he said, don't be drunk with wine. In other words, don't be controlled by any other spirit, but be controlled by the spirit of the Holy Ghost. You see, as believers, we can't, be, we can't afford to be controlled by anything else but the Holy Ghost. So this is the issue that Paul is addressing. But I see I see Paul talking to believers. And he's telling them be filled with the Spirit. So it tells me that there is a difference between the two. There is a difference with being a believer and being filled with the Spirit. Because he is talking to believers and he's telling believers, be filled with the Holy Spirit. So, so, so we got to understand that at when you become a believer, you have been baptized in the Spirit. The baptism of the Spirit happens when one becomes born again. And, and that experience happens once in every believer's life. It is the moment that you accept Jesus as your Savior. It is the moment that you have been converted into a believer. So baptism of the Spirit places believer into the body of Christ. But after you've been baptized, which he is speaking to people who are already been baptized in the Spirit, he said you need to be filled with the Spirit. You see, filling with the Spirit is our experiences. That the Spirit comes in and it takes over. It takes control of our lives. It takes control of everything that we do. And Paul said you need to be filled not just once, but it's something that happened over and over 
and over and over again for the rest of our life. But only if we allow it. Because he said, be filled. That tells me that you have something to do with your filling. You have a part to play in your filling. He said, be filled with the spirit. It's almost like you, you go into your house, you about to take a, take a shower, you go into the bathroom, you're about to take a shower, the water is there. But if you don't turn the water on, there's, the, the, the water ain't just going to come out because you go in the shower. You have to turn the water on. The same way it is for the Holy Spirit. And I'm talking to somebody whose your water is not cut off because your bills is already paid. So you have water. But I want to tell you that Jesus already paid the bill. Jesus already paid the bill. You are a believer. The price is already paid. The water is there. But are we willing to turn the water on? We have already been baptized in the Spirit. The Spirit is already in us. But are we willing to be filled with the Spirit? Look at what Jesus said to the, to the Samaritan woman. The water that I give. It will, be like, it will spring up into everlasting life. So it is something that is placed within us that can spring up. But are we willing to allow what is placed in us to spring up? So he said, Fill, be filled with the Spirit. So being filled with the Spirit is a manifestation of the, of, of the Spirit. It is an experience in which it can happen over and over and over again. So we need a drunk church. You see, when we are drunk, we are at our best. When we are drunk in the Spirit, we are at our best. There's nothing that, that God wants us to do that we can do without the Spirit. There's nothing that we can do in which we were accredited to do unless we are filled with the Spirit. So we are at our best when we are filled with the Spirit. But let us look at some, some, some benefits of being filled with the Spirit. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 19 to 20, it tells us that being drunk helps our worship life. Being drunk helps our worship life. To experience true worship, we must be sensitive and be controlled by the Spirit of God. John chapter 4, verse 24, Jesus said, God is a spirit, and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. You see, your own, if, if you want to be worshiping God, you got to be filled with the Spirit. If you want to worship God in spirit and in truth, the Spirit has to be in control. 
So, so, so being filled with the Spirit, being drunk with the Spirit helps our worship life. It also helps our wedded life. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 22 and 25. It tells us that a wife should submit to her husband as unto the Lord. He also tells us that a husband is to love his wife as if he were Christ loving the church. But we need to understand that neither husband or wife can really carry out such duty unless they are under the control of the Holy Spirit. It's not easy to submit. It's impossible to love like that without the power of the Holy Spirit. So not only does the Holy Spirit help our worship life, but it also helps our relationship, our wedded life. So neither husband nor wife can fulfill this duty to each other until they are living under the influence of the Holy Spirit. Being drunk helps our work life. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 5 to 9. It said we are to do our jobs as if we are working directly for the Lord. So that means our daily work are to be carried out with such enthusiasm that we have when we are at church. But not everybody is enthusiastic at church. I mean, I'm just being honest. I mean, after all that God has done for us, not everybody is enthusiastic when we come to church. Not everybody come to worship. Not everybody come to hear a word from the Lord. Not everybody come for the same reason you come. And to be honest, some come because that's what we do on Sunday. That's what we have always been taught to do. Church is a must on Sunday, but why do we come to church? So if you're not enthusiastic about the Lord, it's hard for you to be enthusiastic at work. I know they're paying you, but God has done so much more. I know, you, I know they're paying you something, but God has done so much more. And if we're not enthusiastic about God, what will we be enthusiastic about? So to be, feel, to, to be enthusiastic about your job, you, have to, you need to be filled with the Holy Spirit, it helps you to be enthusiastic because then you'll become appreciative for what God has done because you know it's God who is providing for you. You see, every, every Christian ought to let their light shine. On the job, Everywhere we go, we let it shine by being honest, 
We let it shine by being punctual. We let it shine be by trustworthy. We let it shine be by being hardworking. He said, do it as if you're doing it for the Lord. Need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. We need to be drunk with the Spirit in order to carry out our job effectively. Being drunk helps our war life. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10 to 17. We are locked in mortal combat. We are locked in spiritual warfare. As a believer, we are locked in a war. From the moment you accepted Jesus, you were enlisted in the army of the Lord. And in the, when you're in the army of the Lord, there is going to be some fighting that is going to take place. Whether you want to fight or not, the, the, the war is going to come to you. You don't have to go look for the war. The war is going to come as long as you are a part of the body of Christ. You are in the army of God. In order to fight in the army of God, you better be filled with the Holy Ghost. In order to fight in the army of God, you better be drunk in the spirit. You, you see, the enemy is not going to have mercy on you. He's an enemy of any means necessary. There ain't no low blows. There ain't no cheap shots. He's going to do whatever he needs to do. So we better be filled with the Spirit of God because we are in war, spiritual warfare. You see, the enemy is after our homes. The enemy is after our family. The enemy is after our marriages. The enemy is after our fate. The enemy is after our health. The enemy is after our happiness. He's after anything that he can touch and destroy. So we better be filled with the Holy Spirit because that is our only hope of being victorious against the enemy is being filled with the Holy Spirit. Being filled, being drunk with the Spirit helped our witness life. Ephesians 6, verse 18 to 19. To be a good witness demands that we are Spirit-filled. Otherwise, our words will have a hollow ring to them. We will be like what they speak about in Corinthians chapter, 1 Corinthians chapter 13, if you have not love, you will be the sounding, <laughs> just making a bunch of, and that's what people are going to be hearing, because there is nothing, there is no substance 
to our words because it's our own words. So when we are filled with the Spirit, that's all we speak. When we're not filled with the Spirit, rather, that's all we speak. Our own words. Our own words don't have no weight to it. Our own words can't bring no conviction for somebody to be born again. What, 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 did, what did the word say? He said, my word shall go forth, and it shall not return void, but it will accomplish that which I please. His word. For us to speak his word, we got to be filled with the spirit. That's all we're going to be speaking is our words. And our words don't have no weight, no power to it. So being filled with the Spirit help our witness life. In, 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 in Acts chapter 1, verse 18, verse 8 rather, he said, you shall receive power. After that, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and you shall be my witnesses. We need a spirit in order to witness. We don't know what people need to hear at any particular time. The spirit does. And the spirit will speak through us if we are willing to sub surrender. If we are willing to allow it to be in control. If we are willing to be drunk with the spirit. My question is, when was the last time you got drunk with the Spirit? When was the last time you got drunk in the Holy Ghost? When was the last time you opened up this bar tap? When was the last time you opened up this bar tap and, and, and take a drink. When was the last time? You know, I know, I know the, the, the effects of the drinking have effects on different people the, in terms of the amount. One shot might not do it for you. Or, or one shot might not do it for me. You might have to take two shots. I mean, two shots might not do it for you. You might need to take three shots. Three shots may not do it. You may need to take four shots. But when was the last time you opened up this bar tap and start to drink from the word of God? You might need to take a shot of peace. Mark chapter 11 John chapter 14, verse 27, he said, my peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives, I give unto you. He said, let not your heart be troubled. Neither let it be afraid. You might need to take a shot of forgiveness. Mark chapter 11, verse 25, when you stand praying, forgive if you have anything against any. He said that your father also, which in heaven may forgive you your trespasses. But when was the last time you took a shot 
our forgiveness. You see, we need a drunk church. When was the last you took a shot of love? John chapter 13, verse 34. You say, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. When was the last time you opened up this bar tap and take a shot? You see, we need a drunk church. You see, when we get drunk enough, we won't dislike each other so much. You see, when we get drunk enough, we won't hold grudges so much. When we get drunk enough, there will be unity in the church. When we get drunk enough, there won't be so much backbiting in the church. When we get drunk enough, there won't be so much people want to do things their way. But we have to get drunk in the Holy Spirit. But, but, but when I consider the title of the, of the sermon, we need a drunk church. We got to understand that we don't only just refer to believers, but we refers to humanity. You see, when the church is drunk, it benefits everybody. The Bible said, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and come to glorify your Father which is in heaven. You see, as a believer, being drunk don't just benefit you. It benefits somebody else who is seeing you who need Jesus as their Savior. The Bible said they will come and glorify your Father which is heaven. But first, you got to get drunk in the Holy Ghost. So we need a drunk church. A drunk church benefit everybody. But in order for you to get drunk, you have to be born again. In order to get drunk in the Holy Ghost, you have to know Jesus for yourself. In order to get drunk in the Holy Ghost, you have to accept Jesus as your Savior. Jesus is saying, come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. He said, come on. Come on. Come on. I have rest for you. Come on. I know life is hard, but I can give you peace in the midst of any situation. He's saying, come on. He said, come on. Take my yoke upon you. Come on. So perhaps there's somebody here who haven't accepted Jesus as a savior. He died for you. But he did not stay dead. He rose on the third day with all power in his hand. That means he won the war. That means that he is victorious. And in him we can find victory. There is victory in Jesus. There is victory in Jesus. There is victory in Jesus. But first, you have to accept him as your savior to receive this victory. We need a drunk church. 
When we are drunk, we are witnessing, we'll be more effective. When we are drunk, our convictions will be seen as real. When we are drunk. So if you don't remember anything from this sermon, I hope you remember that when we are drunk, we're at our best. And God wants us, us to be at our best. That he can be seen. God bless you.